This is the daily lectionary comments for November 4th. We're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 5 and another sample of Jeremiah's preaching. And then uh, uh, Matthew chapter 22, beginning verse 23, uh, the Sadducees spin a tale in order to try to trick Jesus. Jeremiah chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Now, here again, we have another excellent sampling of the kind of, of preaching that Jeremiah engaged in, and it's very engaging. So first off, there's some confusion, and you need to read very carefully in order to understand what's going on. Verse 1 says, Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Look to take note. Search your squares to see if you can find a man, one who does justice and seeks truth, that I may pardon her. Though they say, as the Lord lives, yet they swear falsely. Now that much are the words of the Lord spoken to Jeremiah. Jeremiah is preaching as though the Lord had spoken to him and said, look, this is what the Lord said to me. Go look and see. You'll not find a single righteous man. But then look at verse 3. O Lord, do not your eyes look for truth? You have struck them down, but they felt no anguish. You have consumed them, but they refuse to take correction. They have made their faces harder than a rock. They have refused to repent. Now, that's Jeremiah talking to the Lord. So what you have here in these first uh, three verses is the Lord says to Jeremiah, go look and through the city, go throughout Jerusalem, check and see, see if you can find a single righteous person so that I can pardon them, so that I can pardon Jerusalem. I want you to think about how Abraham engaged in that kind of a debate over Sodom. Lord, will you destroy the entire city if there are 50 righteous people in it? And the Lord says, I won't do it. Uh, and then, of course, Abraham famously and amusingly sort of talks the Lord down to 10 righteous people, even for the sake of 10 righteous people, I will not destroy the city. But here, uh, the Lord is saying, go through Jerusalem, see if you can find one. Find one and I'll pardon Jerusalem. And, and, uh, and, and Jeremiah says back, um, uh, oh Lord, do, your, uh, do not your eyes look for truth? Okay, so in other words, you're asking me to go look for it, you see truly. And isn't that what you would be looking for? Is righteous people in the city. So you have this kind of dialogue between the Lord and Jeremiah and Jeremiah back to the Lord. And then Jeremiah says, verse four, presumably he goes through looking through uh, Jerusalem and doesn't find anybody. So in verse four, it says, then I said, these are only the poor. They have no sense for they do not know the way of the Lord, the justice of their God. I will go to the great and I will speak to them for they know the way of the Lord the justice of their God. But they all alike had broken the yoke. They had burst the bonds. So in these first few verses, we have the Lord saying, go look for some, go through Jerusalem, see if you can find one righteous, you know, one person who knows, knows right from wrong. And, uh, and, and then, uh, you know, Jeremiah says, you certainly are looking, you look for truth. You can't, you can't abide those who are not true. And then presumably he goes looking and finds none. But then Jeremiah concludes, yeah, but those are just the riffraff, the ordinary people. What do they know about the Lord? I'm going to find the cultured. I'm going to find the educated. I'm going to find the religious leaders. I'm going to talk to them. And then we have exactly that. He concludes the same thing. Everybody has forsaken the Lord. Verse seven, this is the Lord speaking. How can I pardon you? Your children have forsaken me and have sworn by those who are no gods. 
When I fed them to the full, they committed adultery and trooped to the houses of whores. They were well-fed lusty stallions, each neighing for his neighbor's wife. Shall I not punish them for these things, declares the Lord, and shall I not avenge myself on a nation such as this? So you have to read very carefully in Jeremiah and, and ask yourself, who's doing the talking here? It's not always clear. Sometimes it's, it's Jeremiah is putting, is relating the words of the Lord to Jeremiah. Sometimes Jeremiah is relating the words of the Lord to the people. Sometimes Jeremiah is relating his own words to the people. And sometimes Jeremiah is relating his own words to the Lord. And of course, all of it is meant to be read and heard by the people. I'll have more to say about the nature of this kind of prophetic writing uh, uh, later. But for now, I want to note a couple of other things. In verse 10, the Lord says to Jeremiah, go up through the vine rows and destroy. Jeremiah's mission was primarily one of destroying. That is to say, not literally destroying, but by tearing down, by preaching the judgment of God. That God is going to be tearing down, so you've got bad news for these people. And go up and down the vine rows. See, uh, Jerusalem and Israel and Judah are pictured as a vineyard. Go up and down the vineyard and destroy. But look what he says, but make not a full end. Now that expression comes up again uh, in verse 18. In verse 18, once again, uh, it says, and I will uh, not make a full end of you. So Jeremiah's mission is to preach the judgment of God, but not to preach the final rejection of God's people. This is going to be a paring down and a winnowing, but it is not going to be an utter rejection. So Jeremiah is preaching not the abject uh, rejection and destruction of Israel, but a cleansing uh, by means of a terrible judgment. One last thing I want you to look at. Um, verse 18, it says, But even in those days, declares the Lord, with all the judgment that he's bringing, even in those days, the Lord will not make a full end of you. And when your people say, why has the Lord our God done all these things to us? You shall say to them, this is a beautiful expression. This verse is really telling you the heart of what's going on here. You shall say to them, quote, as you have forsaken me and served foreign gods in your land, so you shall serve foreigners in a land that is not yours. So this is divine justice, poetic justice. These people are truly getting what they deserve, but not quite, because God is not going to make a full end of them. He's going to chastise them, but not kill them outright. A remnant will return, Jeremiah will talk about. Other prophets spoke that same way. So this is not an utter rejection, but it is a winnowing and a refining down of God's people. Matthew chapter 22, beginning at verse 23. Um, the Sadducees approach Jesus uh, and they spin a story. And the story has one purpose, and that is to make the resurrection look ridiculous. Now, you may wonder why any Jewish leaders would want to do that. Well, that's important then to understand the background of this. Number one, 
Jesus is preaching a resurrection. There's no doubt about that. He's not just preaching his own resurrection. But throughout Jesus' preaching, it's very clear that there's going to be a resurrection on the last day. The resurrection will happen. So Jesus' own personal resurrection was a different matter. I will rise in three days. But there was no question that Jesus also preached a resurrection of the dead on the last day. And everybody knew it. Now, the reason, uh, and, and the, by preaching this resurrection, he wasn't preaching something just brand new in, in Jewish thought, actually. The Pharisees, as a party, as a, as a sort of a religious uh, group, they accepted and taught the same thing, that there was going to be a resurrection on the last day. Now, nobody was, 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 was believing in, and proclaiming that the Messiah, when he came, would die and rise again. That would be a different matter. But in terms of God's people, that they would rise on the last day, yes, that was taught by the Pharisees. And they absolutely believed that. The Sadducees did not. The Sadducees believed that the only part of the Hebrew Scriptures that was really inspired by God and truly Scripture was the Law of Moses. So they limited, their Bible was limited to the Law of Moses. And the rest of the preaching of Jeremiah and all the rest were interesting, religious, uh, pious, but not Scripture. And as far as they were concerned, um, the Law of Moses didn't say anything about a resurrection. In the Sadducees, their theology tended to be very, very earthly-oriented. Now, many have noted that the Old Testament generally tends to have a strong focus on this world, whereas in the New Testament, you have a much stronger focus on the world to come. Although that sometimes gets overblown and sometimes people look at the Old Testament as though it has no view of resurrection at all. That's not true. But at any rate, so you have these Sadducees. They don't believe that there's a resurrection. So as far as they're concerned, Jesus is off base from the very beginning because he's preaching something that isn't true. And so they come to tell him this story, this ridiculous story about a man who dies. His brother takes his wife uh, according to the law of marriage, so that she could bear a son under the older brother's name. But then he dies too, and then the next oldest brother, and then he dies, and the next oldest brother. So you have seven brothers, one wife, then she dies. And now in the resurrection, and of course this is all taunting, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be? The point isn't to get an answer from Jesus, it's to make the resurrection, and therefore Jesus, look ridiculous. And that's why Jesus answers the way he does. He says, you are wrong, this is verse 29, you are wrong because you know neither the scripture nor the power of God. It's a very powerful indictment. He doesn't just say you just, you missed a point here. You do, you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. He makes the comment that in the resurrection there will be no marriage because marriage is an institution for this present world, not for the world to come. He says that we'll be like angels. He does not say that we will be angels. Human beings will never be angels, but in some ways we will be like angels. At any rate, in the world to come, we will not be married or given in marriage. And then Jesus cites uh, uh, from Genesis uh, uh, in, in the uh, in Genesis chapter, excuse me, in Exodus chapter three, when when Moses comes upon a burning bush, and the Lord says, "I am the God of Abraham." and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So the Lord identifies himself as the Lord of these three men, these three patriarchs. And Jesus uh, notes from that, you see, he is not the God of the dead, 
but the God of the living. God is speaking as though Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still around. They are still among the land of the living. And, and to, now the reason why you, you might think that he, he could, that Jesus could have gone to um, say Daniel chapter 12 to talk about the resurrection. There's a much clearer passage there, but the Sadducees wouldn't have accepted that. He goes to uh, this passage in, in, the, um, uh, in the law of Moses that the Sadducees would have agreed that is actually from the, from the mouth of the Lord. And he uses that in order to convince them that in fact there is a resurrection. Okay, well, so much for, uh, for this particular passage.